Thank you so much, Pastor Jay. If you have your Bible, if you'll find with me the second chapter of Peter. For those who are joining us online today, we will have the Lord's Supper at the conclusion of the message if you want to prepare at home for that. Again, I'm so glad that you're here today and welcome to Bethel. Some of you first time here, sometimes first time back. And so we are so glad that you're here today. We've started a mess, series of messages that we've been in for the last few weeks from the book of 1 Peter. It's talking about how do I live godly in a foreign world? This is not my, this is not my native world. This is my, not my native country. We are citizens of heaven from which we wait a savior. In this foreign world, how do I live rightly in it? How do I live godly? How do I live a way that brings honor and glory to God? There's always a tension as we live in this world and all of the values and tensions here, but how do I live to bring honor and glory to Christ uh, who is our Savior, that we are ambassadors for his kingdom? So how do I live that rightly? That also exacerbates the problem whenever persecution and hardship and difficulty are on the horizon, are taking place. How do I stand strong in my faith in the midst of this difficulty? This is what we've been talking about, and that brings us to chapter 2. In chapter number 2, we're looking at the desire and development of believers. What should be our craving and desire, and how shall we be developing and maturing as believers? An outline for today's message is found on the website. You can go to the website, you can look at resources and find sermons, and today's outline is there. You could follow along. The questions I'm going to ask at the end are printed as well. So that's like giving you to the answers of the test before you take it. So uh, anyway, it's there for you to, to use. It's great help maybe for community group leaders as well. Chapter number two, beginning with verse number one. We're going to look at this passage of Scripture and follow along with me. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy, envy and all slander. Like newborn babes, long for, crave the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation since or if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Growth and development is something that's uh, always being measured in our lives. Even when our children were babies, we would take them to the doctor or pediatrician. They're measuring the length of the baby, the weight of the baby, eye movement of the baby, muscle tone of the baby, uh, um, uh, hearing, mobility, alertness. These are things that are movement. These things are being measured and observed by parents and the doctors to make sure that the child is growing and developing in healthy ways. As children grow, grow up, they're always trying to measure themselves. They measure themselves against a brother or a sister. They're measuring their development and their growth. I remember as a kid looking at the shoes of my parents slipping my foot into my father's shoes or thinking my feet are going to get as big as theirs someday. And you remember that? I remember one time putting my grandmother's shoes on and I thought, it won't be long. I'll be able to be like an adult wearing her shoes. My grandmother was four foot eleven. She didn't have the biggest feet in the world. So it was the that thing when I was 
in school, measuring how fast you could run, how fast you could run the 40, how much weight you could bench press or military press, how strong you were getting, measuring all the time in your life. People are still wanting to measure me. I go to the doctor, get on the scale. I'd prefer not. But anyway, uh, measuring you. The other day they said, let's measure your height. I said, I haven't grown any. And so it's people always measuring. I want to ask today about measuring your life. I want you to take evaluation with me. As we look at this message together, the question for you to consider is how about your walk with Jesus Christ? I don't want you to think now about somebody else that needs to answer these questions. I want you to answer them. Are you growing in Christ-likeness? Yes or no? Second question. Are you growing in the knowledge of his word? How would you answer? Next question I want you to consider is, are you living in obedience to God in your life? Are you living in obedience? Are you serving? Are you serving Christ? Are you serving others? Are you using the gifts that God's given you? The Holy Spirit's given you gifts to serve. Are you using it? Let me ask you this question. How is your prayer life? How would you evaluate your prayer life? How has God been speaking to your life? Let me just listen, listen closely to me. Please pay attention today and listen. Your spiritual life is not static. It doesn't stay the same. You're either progressing and growing in a healthy way in your spiritual life, or you're shrinking back and you're regressing in your spiritual life. How would you evaluate your own spiritual health? Peter realizes that if you're going to stand strong and live a godly life in this foreign world, then you must be maturing in your spiritual faith. So he tells us four things that we need to do. First of all, there's some things we need to take off in our life. We need to lay them aside, put them out of your life, and these are things that are in your old life, and you're no longer to live like this anymore. He says, therefore, in light of your faith, in light of the truth that you've been born again of God's Spirit and His Word, in light of your inheritance in Christ, in light of who God is and His calling on you, in light of God's redemption of you, then the first thing you need to do is lay aside, put off, take off these garments that you used to wear. He likens your old life to old polluted garments and lay them aside. This is very similar language that Paul uses in the book of Colossians. In chapter number 3, verse 8, you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech. Verse 9, don't lie to one another. Lay aside the old self with its evil practices. Verse 10 but put on the new self, being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So he's saying, put off the old clothes, put on the new clothes. Put off the old life, put on a new life. This is the same thing Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 12. 
The night is almost gone. The day is at hand. Let us lay aside, put off the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In verse 14, he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Cloak yourself with his character, his righteousness, not your old manner of living. Here, Peter identifies some of these. He says, put aside all, what are some of these polluted garments that we need to put aside? He said, put aside malice. He says, all malice. He says, all kinds of evil doing. The word for malice here means general sense of evil doing that causes injury to your brother or your sister, that destroys a community. Put these things away. He's talking about the second half of the Ten Commandments, the second part of the tablet of the law of God about how we relate to each other. He said these are behaviors that destroy community. They don't build up community. And he said you've got to put them aside. They bring destruction in your own life. Lying, coveting. If you're lying to your wife or your, your husband, you're destroying your relationship. You're hurting yourself. If you're lying to your friends, you're destroying your relationship with your friends. If you're coveting, you're destroying relationships. If you're committing adultery, you're, you're, you're destroying a marriage. And you're destroying your relationship. If you're committing murder, if you're backbiting, slander, stealing. This is a desire to promote yourself. It brings injury to yourself and injury to your community and the people that you should love. He says, put aside all guile. This word guile is the word dolon. It means deceit, deception, craftiness. It, you could translate it, don't have two tongues. Don't have two faces. Don't be, you remember Jacob? Remember his mother, Rebecca? Remember how connivers they were? They conspired against Esau. They promoted themselves. They had their own agenda. They could speak one way, but their motives were another way. He said, don't be like that. Don't try to take advantage of someone else. Don't, don't live your life so that you want to pull the wool over somebody else's eyes. You don't want to pull a fast one on them. You don't want to conspire. You don't want to be a con man. Don't be that kind of person. It's that selfishness, two-faced kind of life. You have a public agenda, you have a public persona, and then you've got the real agenda of your life that's based in selfishness. A similar word related to this in this list he gives us is put aside all guile and hypocrisy. Hypocrisy here means pretense. It's counterfeit. I'm acting one way, but I'm just kind of throwing you off. It's a fake I'm acting this way, but my agenda is really this way. So I'm wearing a mask. That's the idea. I see a lot of masks today. We kind of hate them, don't we? But we're wearing them. Why? For the good of one another. Listen. He says, put aside these masks. Paul Washer is a famous pretty well-known preacher and Bible teacher, and he's a straight shooter. And Paul Washer, I love this quote. He says, I don't know why Baptists are so upset 
of wearing masks to church. Most Baptists I know have been wearing a mask at church for years. It's when we're not being honest. He said, lay aside that behavior. God takes that very seriously. Ananias and Sapphira is a perfect example of it. You'll remember them from Acts chapter 5. They lied to the church and to the Holy Spirit, pretending that they had sold a piece of property and were giving all of the proceeds to God in an act of worship. They were trying to receive accolades like Barnabas did by doing the same thing, but he was honest in his act, and they were not. They conspired together. We'll get part of it, so we'll get the accolades, but we'll keep the other part of it for our own good. Peter calls him out. He said, you not have lied, not only lied to men, you've lied to God. He said, while you owned the property, wasn't it yours to do with what you want? After you sold it, wasn't it under your control? But no, you've not lied to men. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You know what happened? Listen, you know what happened? Immediately, he fell dead and died right there. And the youth ministry had to take him out and bury him. What a youth ministry. Young men. They took him out and buried him. And three hours later, his wife showed up, not knowing what had happened to her husband. And Peter says, did you sell the property for this amount? She said, yeah, that's exactly right. He said, you conspired with your husband. And youth just got back from a youth trip, and, uh, and they were burying your husband, and you'll be beside him soon. And immediately she fell and died. And they carried out and buried her beside her husband. And then this is understatement. And the whole church was filled with awe and fear of God. Wow. My friends, don't live like that. Let your love be pure, unfeigned, unhypocritical, it says in 122. The other word that he uses, the word is envy. This is this displeasure that you feel when somebody else is promoted, when somebody else is, is blessed, when somebody else is prosperous. And their prosperity hooks in you, even though you may not tell anybody. It hooks in you an e envy and a jealousy and a displeasure. Envy is a running mate with hypocrisy. Because hypocrisy claims that you have a good that you do not have. But envy seeks to deny or defame a real good that somebody else does have. You see, it's moral cancer that destroys your life. Dr. Hebert said, it's the only vice practicable at all times and in every place. People can be filled with envy and you don't even know it. Slander is the way that you use your words. And Peter said, don't let your mouth be filled with slander. It's speech that runs people down, disparages another person, assaults the character of another person, usually behind their back. It's a whisper campaign against them. You cast shadow on another person, on their motive. During these political seasons, there's a lot of slander that takes place. It must not be in the mouth of us as believers. Amen? 
I used to work with a person that they would slander you. They would whisper behind your back. They would cast doubts on your motives. They, they, they were secretly against you. And they talked negatively about you. And when they come and whisper these dainty morsels against you, and you give attention to it, don't be fooled. For that same person will do the very same thing about you. That's their moral character. These are old clothes, grave clothes, not grace clothes. And we are to cast them aside and not live like that. Three things. Number one, don't live the life you used to live. That's what he's saying. Number two, don't relate to others like you used to relate. Now, some of us grew in this, up in this kind of dysfunction. Don't continue to live that way. And number three, don't talk like you used to talk. Put it aside. Amen? I don't have enough time to tell you the story, all of the story in detail, but it happened many years ago as a young man. I was pastoring a small mission church in the northern part of the state in, uh, near Chicago, and uh, we just had three children at the time, and they were all just really little. And, uh, uh, and uh, we lived in a little parsonage house that was adjacent to the mission church that we were working in. And um, I walked out the back door one day, and there was, there was a basement in the house, and there was a window well there. You know what I'm talking about, where there was a window, but it was kind of below the ground, so there was a, a well and, uh, 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 there. And I saw an animal, uh, something move, and there was an animal down in the window well. And as I looked a little closer, I thought, well, there's a cat down in this window well. And as I looked more closely, I said, the thing is sick. It needs to get out of that well. I wanted to help it get out. Something unusual about this cat, it had a white stripe right down its back. And so I decided I needed, and I thought, man, this is a skunk. Well, how am I and so I tried to get it out. I put a board in there thinking it would crawl up when well, no, I couldn't crawl up. So I thought, I need to aid it. Maybe I'll pester it. And so I got a garden hose, and I was spraying it. That's so stupid. So he said, you want to have a spraying contest? And so uh, long story short, I got sprayed by this skunk all over me, all over the house. The stench of that burning in my nostrils. Un I took it and buried it. Walked back toward the house. Chrissy said, you're not coming in this house. Those, those clothes were ruined. Folks, why in the world would you say that you're living this Christian, that you have a relationship with Jesus, and the old polluted garments you're still wearing? Lay them down. Repent and turn to God. You say, Pastor, how do I do it? Peter tells us. You not only take off, you need to take in. What is it that we take in? Notice what he says in verse number two. Like newborn babes long crave, desire the pure milk of the word. He says, fill your heart with things that nourish your soul strengthen you. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 8, verse 3 says, he says, the Lord, I humbled you. 
I let you be hungry. This is what Moses says to the children of Israel. I let you be hungry so I could teach you. So I fed you with manna. The word manna means what is it? I fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers did not know. But you understand so that you might understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He says, it's not physical bread that you need. It is my word that you need, my law that you need, and you need to take it in to feed your very soul. Psalm 119, verse 103 We need to be taking in the revealed, written Word of God. It is spiritual nourishment to our soul. Psalm 119, 103 says, How sweet are thy words to my taste. (laughs) Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Wow. You see, you've been born again. Born of the Holy Spirit. Born of the the elective purposes of God, born and selected and chosen to be God's people. You were redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. In chapter 1, verse number 23, says you've been born again, not of seed that's perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living, abiding word of God. Now, the very thing to help bring birth into your life is the very thing that nourishes your life. It is the Word of God. And you need to take it into it. You need to passionately crave it and desire it in your life. One of the blessings for Christy and I is to have some of our children close at home still. What, we've not had grandchildren close to home for a long time until a couple of years ago. And Charlotte was born to Brad and Aaron. And now just one month ago, although you've not met her, her as she's not been in church yet, her name is Jolene, Jojo. We just love uh, the new little baby. And occasionally they let me hold her. And I love holding that little baby. She's so little, so precious. I hold her here on my chest and and as she's there, I, I just I love reaching down, smelling her little baby hair and touching her little baby skin and looking at her little baby toes and thinking what a precious gift from Almighty God. And I just love that little baby. She is so precious. But she knows she's strong. She's only a month old. But at a month old, she can kind of push up. And she lifts her neck and strains. And then when she starts getting restless, she's moving around and wiggling a little bit. I'm trying to hold her and pat her and rock her. And she gets more and more restless. And she's nuzzling into me. And I go, oh, she's looking for something I can't give her. There's only one who can. She needs her mom. Because her mom can give her milk that she craves. I could try to tempt her by giving her offering Doritos. Or what child wouldn't want an Oreo? She's not interested in Oreos or Doritos or even Krispy Kreme. She wants milk. Because that milk she has tasted and it is good. 
and it nourishes and strengthens us. Now listen, every born again child of God, the Holy Spirit has put a craving in your soul for the Word of God. And that Word nourishes and strengthens you to know God's will. You can't know God's will apart from the Word of God. I have people say stupid things to me. Well, I'm just praying about it. I'm just trying to figure out if this is God's will. When clearly the thing they're considering doing is absolutely contrary to the revealed will of God in the Word of God. The reason so many people are going astray and following after false teaching is because they're not grounded in the Word of God. And see, the, the, the pure milk of his word helps you to live like a child of God. You don't outgrow that milk. You have a craving in your heart for it. Now, here's where we ask some questions. And I want you to answer them. Not out loud. How much time do you spend every week? I'd prefer to ask every day. How much time do you spend daily? In the Word of God, reading it. Honestly. How much time do you spend a week then? How much time of your week is taking in God's Word? Are you reading His Word? Are you listening to His Word? One of the things I do is I listen to the Bible as I read it. It keeps me on track, keeps me from not being distracted. That's just for my morning reading. And in my evening reading, I do the same. Then we're to study his word. That's where I want to dig down, trace out, look and study an idea or a thought or a theme or what's God saying. We ought to also memorize his word. Are you memorizing his word? There's some of you sitting here saying, Pastor, I cannot memorize God's word. Oh, yes, you can. Do you know your phone number? You can memorize God's word. Do you know your address? Do you know the, your birthday? Do you know your anniversary day? Do you know your children's? Well, some of us do. Do you know? What, there's all kinds of, I, how many, I bet some of you know, have finished this verse for me. For God so loved, so say it, say it, say the whole verse with me. Amen. You can begin to memorize God's word, you can. Start with a short one. Jesus wept. You got that. You can memorize his word. Every believer needs to be memorized. You're not too old. You can memorize God's word. My dad's in his 80s. He's still memorizing God's word. Every believer needs to have some, some scripture committed to memory. Every believer ought to have the Beatitudes committed to memory. Every believer ought to have the Lord's Prayer committed to memory. Every believer ought to know the books of the Bible. Every believer needs to have Psalm 1 committed to memory. Every believer needs to have the plan of salvation committed to memory. Every believer needs to have promises about prayer committed to memory. These are things that you need to commit to the memory of your life. Memorize the... Memorize. Not only memorize, meditate on it. Not only meditate on it, apply it. Obey it in your life. And then you need to be studying God's Word in community. 
Folks, there's something happens when we fellowship together in fellowship with one another, in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, around the Word of God, and we're speaking and learning truth together. That is an essential in your spiritual life. Are you plugged in and are you growing? Are you taking in the Word of God? Not only the written Word of God, you need to be taking in the living Word. In the book of John, chapter number 6, listen to how Jesus instructs us. John's Gospel, chapter number 6. John's Gospel, chapter number 6, beginning with verse number 32. They were saying to him, the people of the children of Israel that day, they were saying to Jesus, do a sign for us, show us some sign and we'll believe in you. Give us Bread, Moses gave bread to the children of Israel. Moses didn't give it, God did. What they wanted was their own physical appetites fed because he had fed the 5,000. So Jesus comes back and teaches them truth. He says, verse 32, truly, truly, verily, verily, listen, listen, I say to you, it is not Moses who's given you the bread out of heaven. It's my Father who gives you true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. I'm the bread of life. Verse number 48, I am the bread of life. Your father ate man in the wilderness, they died. This bread comes out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse number 53, Verily, verily, truly, truly, listen, listen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourself. Take in Jesus Christ. Fully drink of Him. Know Him. Obey Him. Walk Not only what you take off, what you take in, but you need to grow up. Discipline yourself for growth and maturity in your life. In verse number two, he's telling us, he's reminding us that we are to grow in respect to salvation. Peter says this more clearly in chapter, in a sister sister book, chapter two. Um, uh, sister book, 2 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. But grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says mature, grow, develop in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So first of all, you are to grow in grace. You're to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Are you growing? Are you developing in your knowledge of Jesus? The author of Hebrews says, Therefore, leaving elementary teaching about Christ, let's press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and have faith toward God. He says, listen, mature in your faith and your walk in God. What does it mean to grow in grace? What do you think it means? I think it means a deepening understanding that your relationship with Jesus is a grace relationship 
not a works relationship. When you don't understand that you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. You did not earn your salvation. You didn't work for your salvation. You are saved by grace. You can't earn your way to God. God didn't save you because he saw potential in you. When God saw you, he saw a dead man. And he saved you. Now understand this. He loves you. He chose to love you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Not only that, he's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only is he in you, he's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Not only is that, he's forgiven you. All of your sins have been paid for in the cross of Jesus Christ. Isn't that glorious? Also understand this. You did not merit your relationship with Jesus Christ. You did not choose him. He chose you. Listen closely. He elected you. He selected you. He called you. He caused you to be born again. He raised you from the dead. He made your blinded eyes to see. He gave you life. He died for you on the cross. He redeemed you. He was thinking of you. He was dying for you. He loves you. And he found you. And he saved you. How glorious a thought. Many years ago, many, many years ago, there was an evangelistic campaign that went on among evangelicals, not just Baptists, among evangelicals. And it was called, I Found It. And people would wear a little button that says, I found it. They put bumper stickers on their car that says, I found it. They had little tracks that said, I found it. And so it was supposed to whet the appetite of people who didn't know the inside lingo of I found it. And people would say, what did you find? And then you would tell them that you found Jesus Christ or eternal life or whatever. It's a witnessing tool. I think it was a wrong phrase. Not theologically quite right. Truth of the matter is, I didn't find it. It found me. Jesus found me. And I was dead. And he came to me. And he raised me, and he saved me, and he gave me life everlasting. Amen. Now, when you grow in grace, you grow in an understanding that it's not based on my works or my performance, but on the grace of God. But as I grow in grace, now listen, this is very important, then I learn to extend grace to others. Amen. Give grace. And when you do, you, don't long, you begin to give and to love, and you stop competing for position, and you stop all the legalism, because it's not about legalism. It's about grace. And when you're extending grace, if people don't perform, see, if you're still living in the old way of thinking, if people don't perform the way you want them to perform, then you shun them. Then you, 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 you don't accept them then it's conditional. And, but yet, when you grow in grace, you can learn to give grace to 
to others, to overlook fault in others, to love them in spite of their failures. So I want to ask you, are you growing in grace? Let me ask you about your personal relationships because this is an indicator, the indicator. Listen, you can tell me how much you love God, but I'll tell you, you can tell me about all your knowledge of the God, all your knowledge of the Bible, but you're to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would show itself in your personal relationships. Here are some hard questions I want you to consider. How well do you extend grace to other people? Let me ask these questions from a different light. Do you hold on to grudges? Do you bring up the past? Do you hold on to hurts? Do you nurse these hurts and grudges? Do you act out of jealousy and envy? Let me ask you this question. Be honest. Are you easily offended? Are you easily provoked to anger? Why? Let me ask you this question. Do you have a scorecard in your relationships where you're keeping score? And if so, where's grace in that? Let me ask it another way. Do other people you're in relationship with walk on eggshells around you? Why are they doing it? You are to grow in grace, understanding God's grace to you, freeing you and giving you security to give grace to others. Grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. As you grow in knowledge, I'm not talking about Bible knowledge, which I think is important. I'm not talking about Bible study. I'm not talking about your, your understanding of Bible facts. I'm talking about intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. You're walking with Him. You're obeying Him. You're trusting Him. You're loyal to Him. You're subject to Him. You're loving others. And you're loving Him. Is this a marker of your life? Finally, enjoy the Lord. Enjoy Him. Delight yourself in God's kindness. And this is what we're to do. Lay aside, take off those old garments. Don't wear those polluted old things. They stink. And you're to put on the Lord Jesus and take in the pure milk of the Word. And not only do we take in this pure milk, but we grow up and mature in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But then enjoy the Lord. Notice that he says in verse 3, since you've tasted the kindness and the goodness and the grace of the Lord. Are you tasting his kindness? Reflect on his blessings. Reflect on the way God has loved you. The book of Deuteronomy is remind us, us again and again in the Old Testament. Do not forget God's blessings. Do not forget God's redemption. Do not forget that you were once slaves and now you are sons and daughters. Do not forget his kindness. When you enter a land 
that God gives you, and you dwell in cities that you did not build, and when you eat from vineyards that you did not plant, and when you drink from cisterns that you did not dig, be careful that in your prosperity you don't forget God. And in your grace and the lavish blessings God's poured on you, don't forget how God's blessed you. Because when you forget, then you'll begin to forsake Him. That's the warning. And Peter's reminding us, since you've tasted the kindness of God, rejoice in His blessing. He quotes Psalm 34, 8 in a little different way. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is Good. <laughs> How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Christy and I, when we were trying to find something to watch on TV, and she'll say, you want to watch some TV? I said, okay. What do you want to watch? I don't know what's on. Let's look and see. And if we can't find anything, our default television station of choice is the Food Network. We watch cooking shows. Pitmaster's Barbecue. It's awesome. You see the smoke? You can almost smell it. You see the charcoal. You see the guys that are just characters, men and women that are barbecuing. You see beef brisket. It is so succulent, and it's charred just right. It just got it right. And you, they tear that pulled pork apart, and you just see the fat and the juices. And, and you see the barbecued ribs. And, and, and as I sit there, I don't. I want to taste it. And I'm eating popcorn, dried popcorn. The most awesome invitation is from God of heaven. And he says, taste it and see that the Lord is good. He is good. Take him into your life. Live for him. Amen. Takeaway questions to consider today. Number one, are you living differently than you used to live? Number two, what things do you need to discard from the wardrobe of your life? Number three, how are you being nourished spiritually? Whose word are you listening to? Number four, how would you measure your spiritual growth? Now, if you were measuring your spiritual growth, how would you measure it? Maybe you could ask it this way. How would others measure your spiritual growth? Here's an assignment for you, men. Why don't you ask your wife today? Do you see spiritual growth in my life? Women, maybe you could ask your husband or your children. Do you see spiritual growth in me? But more importantly, maybe, how would the Lord answer that? Does the Lord see growth in you? Number five, are you intentionally meditating on God's blessings? And number six, are you rejoicing in the Lord today? Are you? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives today. 
And I pray that today that we would taste and see that the Lord is good. In Jesus' name, amen.